good to be with you all tonight. I appreciate you all allowing us to be here again and uh, to use the house and the the van. It's just um, it's such a help and such a blessing to us as the Lord um, opens doors for us to come down here from time to time. And um, this weekend I'm going to be up at, at camp, but um, in the interim try to mainly visit some of the Hispanic assemblies uh, in the area. And uh, as the Lord opens the door for do that, so I appreciate you all doing that for us. We really, really do thank you. And um, let's to turn in your Bibles to Ezra chapter three. And as you're turning there, I'll just tell you real quick. I appreciate y'all's prayers for um, Elizabeth and Jamin uh, Peck. Uh, they just went back to Indonesia after uh, being here for a few months. They came over for several reasons. Uh, her two brothers were getting married during the summer, and she was going to have a child in July. Uh, her, she's RH positive, and most of the people there, are, is that right? She's RH positive, right? Yeah. And most people there are like 90-some percent are RH negative, and it would be hard for her to find blood if she didn't need it. I don't understand all those things, but anyway, that plus the cost of it was actually cheaper to come back to the States than it was because she'd had to, they had to go for like a month and stay at a hospital or near a hospital because there wasn't anything in where they are. So anyway, that's a long story short. Um, they had their fifth child in July, and they went back just after the third wedding last year we had on January 1st. Our last daughter got married. And so they've all moved away from us. And so, yeah, I guess that's what happens. But anyway, um, so um, just pray for them. It's It's hard when you go to a country the first time. But, but I think it's harder the second time because first time it's a big adventure. The second time, you know what you're going into. You know what you're leaving behind and you know what your your lies ahead of you. And they've got several more months of language study where they are. Then they'll go out to this town where they're going to be eventually and still have more language study. Uh, Jamin has to reach a certain proficiency to be able to deal with people uh, in the plane to be able to tell them what they need to do and tell them, you know, if there's an emergency or something. So there's a level of proficiency that he has to come to. So just pray for him on that. And um, and then also just um, if you think about praying for me, I, I you know, I, if you're like me, I forget people all the time. I don't pray for people like I should. But if, if, I, if, you come to, if I come to mind, I just got back from Peru, had a wonderful time down there uh, with Joel Clark. At a, he has a Bible school every year uh, in the month of January. People take a whole month off. An intense Bible study with them. Uh, have, they have about six or seven hours a day in Bible study. So uh, had a wonderful time with them. And then um, in, a, in March, Lord willing, Angie and I are going to be going to Honduras again. And then, um, Lord willing, I'm talking to some brethren about maybe going to Cuba this year and then possibly Honduras again near the end of the year. So just pray for us. We... Um, we don't know what the Lord has for us in the future. We're just willing to do whatever he wants us to do. But he seems to be opening a lot of doors uh, to minister the word among Hispanics here in America as well as, as overseas in different countries, especially in, in Central and South America. Uh, I had an invitation to go down to Guatemala. I haven't gone down there yet. We've gone to, I went to Mexico last year and just different places. So I appreciate you all praying for us as the Lord to give us real wisdom in, uh, in the use of our time for him. Ezra chapter 3, the, the scene is uh, the children of Israel have been out 
of Israel for 70 years uh, punished because of their idolatry. Uh, they're turning away from the Lord, finding the Lord after years and years, after uh, 490 years of disobedience with uh, sprinklings of obedience in the middle, it seems like, when you read that stories of judges all the way through the Chronicles. Um, he takes them out of the land. He takes them out for 70 years. And then the king of Persia, I think greatly influenced by Daniel, uh, gives the people permission to go back and rebuild the temple. They go back. Just a remnant goes back. Not not all of them, although all of them could have, but just a remnant goes back. And when they get back to the city, uh, this is what they, they begin to build the temple. So let's just, let's just for uh, time's sake, let's just start at verse... Uh, chapter 3 and verse 8. <clears throat> chapter 3, verse 8. Now in the second year of their coming into the house of God at Jerusalem, in the second month, began Zerubbabel the son of Shaltiel the, and Jeshua the son of Josedach, and, and the remnant of their brethren the, and the priests and the Levites and all that they were come out of the captivity in Jerusalem and appointed the Levites from 20 years old and upward to set forth the work of the house of the Lord. Then stood Jeshua with his sons and his brethren Cadmiel and his sons and the sons of Judah together to set forth the workmen uh, in the house of God, the sons of Hinnadad, with their sons and their brethren, the Levites. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, they set, they set the priests in their apparel with trumpets and the Levites and the sons of Asaph with cymbals to praise the Lord after the ordinances of David, the king of Israel. They sang together by course and praising and giving thanks unto the Lord because he is good for his mercy endureth forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and the Levites and the chief of the fathers who were ancient men who had seen the first house when the foundation of the house was laid before their eyes wept with a loud voice. And he shouted aloud for joy. So people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy for the noise of the sound of weeping of the people. The people shouted with a loud shout and noise was heard afar off. Now, we had to realize that these men uh, had been in captivity for 70 years, probably teenagers when they left, uh, maybe in their early 20s, who knows, um, ancient men, older men. And when they came back to the city and started to build the house, they saw the that the glory of this house was never going to come close to compare to the glory of the house that they had known in their youth. And the thing we've got to realize is the house that they knew in their youth was nothing compared to what it was in the days of Solomon. Many of the treasures, many of the riches, many of the splendor of that house had already been taken out, had already been taken away. They saw it in its, in its, in its worst state, we could say, uh, in those last few years uh, because many kings have come and many enemies of, of the people of God, including some of the kings of, of Judah, had taken out many of the treasures out of the house. And the glory of that house was nothing compared to the day that Solomon had the house built. And yet when they saw the glory of this house, when they saw how this house was compared to even that, it broke their hearts and they wept. There was a shout of joy. There was a shout of rejoicing among the people. Of course, there, there should have been. The, the Lord had brought them back. They were rebuilding the temple. They were going to have a, a place now where they could where they could meet. Where the priests could offer the sacrifices again. Where they could have a place that they could have fellowship with the Lord. And so they're rejoicing over that. But there were those that knew the former things that wept. 
Uh, brethren, we know, we know we're in the last days. There's no doubt in our minds that we're in the final days of the church, the final days of the age of grace. We know that the tribulation is around the corner. And before that comes, um, there's going to be a rapturing out of the church. We're going to be gone. And what our brother Aaron was talking about there in Syria is not going to be just something that happens in one general locale. It's going to be worldwide. Massive destruction, massive death, massive massive rebellion, anarchy is going to be worldwide. And it's going to be a horrible, horrible place. But the sad thing to say, brethren, is the Church of Jesus Christ is in such a state today that there are those that are making light or just... There's a lot of, a lot of shouting for joy and a lot of, a lot of uh, singing and a lot of praising and a lot of giddiness in the Church of Jesus Christ. When rather than there being rejoicing, there should be brokenness on our part. We've come a long way from where we were, brethren. Uh, the Church of Jesus Christ is nothing like it used to be, and I'm not even talking about back in the year 30 or 32 or 34 when it first began. I'm talking about it even in our age. Uh, I've been saved for 37 years, and I remember things in the Church of Jesus Christ that were true, commonplace back then that aren't true anymore. Uh, sin wasn't tolerated like it was to, as it is today, brethren. Uh, there was a, a real fervency for the things of Christ. There was more of a zeal for the gospel back in the 40s, 50s, 60s. Some of us remember those things. Uh, some better than me, uh, who, are, who are, have been known the Lord a lot longer and been in gatherings like this a lot longer. We turned away from some of those things. And um, some of the brethren, I know that you all last year were involved in this prayer time. They're going to have it again this year, I believe, in April. And the main focus of that prayer time was revival. Revival among, not just among the assemblies. I mean, we don't want to just limit ourselves to that. We don't want to just, you know, hold our little group up or separate it from everybody else. It's the church of Jesus Christ that needs to have revival. Revival isn't something that takes place out in the world. There, the effect of revival will spread out into souls getting saved, absolutely. But the concept of revival is the church of Jesus Christ getting back to that place of their first love. Getting back to that place of fervency and zeal for the gospel. Getting back to that place where we're no longer men who are walking newspapers or walking television sets with all the latest sports news or all the latest political information, but we're walking Bibles like we used to be, brethren. We're men that talk about the Word of God. Uh, when we get up in the morning, when we lay down, when we're out in the, the, among our, our co-workers at work or our fellow students at school, it's the Word of God that's a focus. It's our meditation day and night. And brethren, we're the kind of men that that pray for lost souls, that, that fervently pray for people. We, so many times in our prayers, and, and I'm just talking about in general, even my own prayer, my own just in my, when I'm all by myself, so many of my prayers are just so superficial. Um, so just check off that list, pray for this one, and pray for that Lord, bless that brother, and bless that sister, and do what he'll heal that one. And, and you just reel, reel off a bunch of names. Where's the fervency in it all? The real thing I wanted to focus in on tonight was just this fact how these men wept. How they were so broken over what they saw. How it affected them so much. They were so tender hearted to the Lord and to his work. This was his house. This was the gathering place of his people. This was a place where he had placed his name. This was the place where his glory would shine. And when they saw what it was going to be, 
it just broke their hearts. They wept. So we're going to look at a few instances in the scriptures. And the question comes, do real men cry? You know, do real men cry? You know, when you're growing up, and my little boys, you know, when they were growing up and they'd fall down, and, of course, they loved their mother more because she would hug and kiss them and, and all that kind of stuff. And I'd say, boy, buck up. You're a man. Men don't, men don't cry, you know. It's the kind of thing you tell them. Yeah, make them tough, you know. I'm just sissies out there, you know, crying to their mommy every time. But, uh, of course, they loved when their mama would do that for them. And that's mama's job and man's father's job is they buck it up, boy, you know. I said it to my girls sometimes too, maybe. I guess I don't know. But anyway. Let's look at Second Samuel chapter 1. And we're just going to go through a number of scripture here, brethren, and just look at men, real men. I mean, I'm talking about not some, like, Schwarzenegger. I think what he used that term, girly men, you know. We're talking about menly men, you know, men that are real men. And in Second Samuel chapter 1 and verse 12, this is a scene where um, the, at the end of chapter or First Samuel, of course, uh, Saul and Jonathan are both killed by the Philistines. And here in chapter 2, or, or chap, 2 Samuel chapter 1, it says in verse 12 that the, David heard the, the report. The man came and told him the report that Saul, thinking he was going to be rewarded, of course, think, uh, that Saul and Jonathan were dead. And here's what, here's what took place, verse 12. Uh, What's well, verse 11? Then took David hold on his clothes and rent them, and likewise all the men that were with him. And they mourned, and they wept. And they fastened the evening for, Jonathan, for Saul and for Jonathan his son and for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel because they were fallen by the sword. Great men had fallen. Great men had fallen. And even though Saul was David's enemy, David was never Saul's enemy. Saul was David's enemy. Saul hated David. David never did anything wrong against him. Jealousy and pride and haughtiness is what caused Saul to hate David. But David loved Saul. David would have come back to Saul any time Saul would have wanted. He loved Jonathan like a more than a brother. They were close. When he heard of their death, he wept. He wept. And brethren, there are men that are fallen. There's some men that have gone on home to be with the Lord and and the other men that have fallen into sin. Good men. And when God talks about that in Ezekiel, he's talking about the, the gaps that are left, the, the places that are left by those men who have, who have labored valiantly. And he says, I look for a man to fill the gap. And I found none. Where are the great men today? Where are the men that are stepping up and being men that are so dedicated to the Lord Jesus Christ that that's all there is in their life. I mean, you think about men like Terrence Wilson and and uh, and uh, Boyd Nicholson and uh, um, I don't know um, Ari Harlow and I mean, we could just go on naming names like that of men that of renowned men that all of us know and have respected over the years, and they're gone now. Other men who have fallen into sin who we don't even want to mention their names just just it just breaks your heart. And when one of those men leaves, uh, David Reed just went home to be with the Lord, right? And uh, uh, there's another brother um, up in New York, up in Buffalo. Um, you know what I'm talking about? Uncle Dave. Stifler. Just went home to be with the Lord. 
What a ministry that brother had. What a ministry. Who's going to do that? Who's going to take that over? Who's going to dedicate himself so much, so diligently to those things that he's going to have that kind of ministry with young people and with children? And what a respect that man had. Well, I'll tell you, you didn't chew gum in the Bible Bible school with him, buddy. He saw you chewing gum. Boy, they caught you right there. Stop chewing that gum. You didn't, you didn't say a peep in his meetings, you know? But the children loved it and respected that man. Where's a man to fill that place? Where is he? And brother, when we see men like that fall, when we see men like that leave the scene, does it break our hearts? Do we weep over men like that? Saul was David's enemy. Saul had done nothing but try to kill, try to destroy David for years. And yet when David hears of his death and death of his dear friend Jonathan, he and all the men with him, all these mighty men, just cry like babies. They weep over him. 2 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 30. The same David weeps over something Something else very different, but still just as valid. Chapter 15, verse 30. He weeps over his son Absalom. He says in verse 30, uh, let's see if I get this right. 2 Samuel 15, 30. No, this is when he's coming out of captivity. I'm sorry. Um if I get the right verse here. Yeah. This is when he's coming out from Absalom. This is when he's leaving Jerusalem. And it says, He went up the mount, went up the ascent of the Mount of Olives and wept as he went up. And it had his head covered and his went barefoot. And all the people that were with him covered every man his head. And they went up weeping as he went out. This is, this is rebellion. Rebellion of his own son. Rebellion of, his, the, of the people of God. Rejection of him as their king. Rejection of the leadership that the Lord has established. Murmuring rebellion among the people. I'll tell you what, Brennan, we, we have more people griping and complaining about the, the leadership in our assemblies than we do. You know, I, I, when people come up to me and start griping and complaining about the oversight, I say, wait, let's just wait, hold on. Show me one place in the Bible where it tells you to gripe and complain about the oversight in the assembly. I see we're to respect them. I see we're to, to allow them to minister to us and to, and to convince us of the truth. I see we're to pray for them. I see we're to know them. But I don't see one verse in the Bible that says we're to gripe and complain about them, especially to somebody else. There's rebellion among God's people. There's a rejection of God-given leadership. And, and brethren, I'll tell you, there, there's a lot of assemblies today, and, and we've got to know it. There's a lot of assemblies today. There's a lot of elders, but very few shepherds. Very few shepherds. And yet, brethren, we need to be praying for these men. Rather than criticizing, we need to be praying for them. And you know what? One brother told me one time years and years and years ago, and I, not long after I said, he says, Mark, if there's a man that you don't think is, is doing the work of oversight, you need to pray that either the Lord removes that man or that, that he changes that man. It's the Lord's that's got to do it. You don't do it. Let the Lord do it. Right? Because we've got such a small perspective. You see, we see a little bit of things like this. We may not see the whole thing. And there was one brother I just had a problem with. 
I started praying for this guy. Well, you know what happened. I mean, I'm going to tell you the story. But, you know, the Lord changed my heart. It didn't change him. He changed me. And that, I was the one that needed to be changed and not him. It was a problem with me, not with him. And that's how often it is. The other time that he pray, or that 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 uh, he he cries, um, is at the end. Um, when um, Absalom is destroyed, let me see if I can find it. Somebody finds it. Let me know. Is it eighteen? The end of eighteen. Yeah, you're right. 1833. I was looking at 17. Good, brother. And the king was much moved. He went up out of the chamber of the gate and wept. Wept over Absalom. Wept over this son who had rebelled. This son who had rejected the, the leadership, the direction, the teaching, the, the example of David had gone off and had gone off so far that it causes death. Brother, are we weeping for our children? And I don't mean just your children. I mean, are we weeping for our young people? I go to so many assemblies today, dear brethren, and it's filled with, with adults. And I say, where, where are your children? Well, this one's gone off there, and this one's gone off the other place. And, and it's so sad. And some of them have gone off into the world. Some of them have gone off into these mega churches. Some have gone off into, into whatever kind of other things. Are we weeping over our loss of our young people, brethren? The future of the assembly. I see assemblies closing their doors. I know of two or three right now that in a couple of years, I'll be surprised they're still there. I went in one assembly down in Texas. There was one young man, the son of one of the elders, one young man under the age of 50. One under the age of 50. And the guy that was 56 or 57, he's about my age, was the next youngest, and everybody else was in their 70s and 80s. How long do you think that assembly is going to have the doors open? They only got about a dozen people as it is now. How long do you think that? And there's no vision. There's no future. Went to another assembly the other day. Three people in this assembly, and they can't even get along with each other. Three people. They can't go. One, one couple and a guy. And I talked to the guy, and I said, is there a vision for this assembly? And he started, the whole time all he could do was gripe and complain about this other couple. That's all he could do. And them about him. Brother, there's three people he can't get along. You wonder what happens with the husband and wife. Brother, they don't get along either. No, but it's, we, it's, it's not fun. It's, it's sad. This, and this assembly used to have 70, 80 people in fellowship, brother. I'm not talking about a little tiny thing that was nothing. I'm talking about 10 years ago. It was a vibrant, functioning assembly. And it's gone. <sighs> Got to break our hearts, brethren. We've got to weep over these things. Does it touch us that much? Do you not think it affects the heart of the Lord Jesus? What does he say? Don't grieve the Spirit of God. He doesn't say, don't make the Spirit of God a little bit unhappy or a little bit, a little bit bothered. He says, don't grieve Him. Don't grieve Him. Just for the time sake, I'm just going to give you something. And you can write these verses down if you'd like. In 2 Kings chapter 22, verse 19, Joshua, the book of the law comes out after years being hidden in the temple with the rubble of it. And when he brings that out, it says that when he hears that, he rips his clothes and he weeps before the Lord. 
Because God's people have gone so far away from the truth of the Word of God. They've gone so far away from the principles, from the, from the practices that God has given them. And he, Josiah is so tender-hearted towards the Word of God that he falls down on his face and he rips his clothes and he weeps before God. And God says, I'm going to bring judgment on these people, but Josiah, because you've done this, I won't bring it during your days. But during your son's days, I'm going to bring it. And he did. Brethren, we see the word of God being placed in such a, a way that, that it's not given the preeminence. I go to some assemblies and, and they spend 30, 45 minutes with singing songs and with, with nothing wrong with songs, but they're not, they're not inspired. None of them are inspired. None of them in the hymn book are inspired. They might have inspired, inspired phrases, but none of them are inspired. And between announcements and all the giddiness and all the all the hoopla, and then they say you got 15 minutes to open up the Word of God. Brethren, the Word of God ought to have the preeminence in our midst. It speaks about the Lord Jesus. It's God's message to us. And we need to be preaching the Word. Now, I'm not talking about just get up there and say whatever you want to say, but preach the Word, brethren. And where is it? Where are men of the book anymore? that know the Word of God and that preach the Word of God and aren't here just to entertain people, aren't here just to be popular so they get asked back again. They're preaching the truth in love because we've steered so far away from it in so many ways, brethren. Another example in the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 4. He hears of the condition of the city of Jerusalem. He hears, I mean, the temple's built. There's a few houses built, but the rest of the city is in ruins. The walls are in ruins. That wall that speaks of separation, that wall that speaks of protection, that wall that speaks of, of God's hand around the children of Israel, that makes them different from everybody else, is in ruins. And Nehemiah weeps when he hears of the condition. Again, brethren, we, we don't have to go outside of the church to see sin. There's so much sin in the church today. There's so much weakness among the brethren today. What a weep over the condition. Where's the separation? Where are we distinct from the world? Where is it evident to the world around us that we're not like them? We talk like them. We dress like them. We watch the same TV shows that they watch. We go to the same movies they go to. There were girls in our assembly that Angie was telling me about, they were talking about this movie Shades of Grey. I don't even know what it's about. All I know is it's wicked and horrible, but they'd gone to see this movie. I hope nobody here has seen it. I hope you don't even know what it's about. Praise the Lord if you don't even know what to talk about. Amen. That's wonderful. Wickedness. Where's the separation, brethren? Where's the distinction from us and everybody else? God's, the word, say, the word uh, uh, holy means separated, separated from the world, separated from that former lifestyle, separated unto the Lord. People say, well, you've got to be like the world so you can reach it. That's, that's so far from being true. The Lord Jesus Christ was so different than everybody else around him. That's what drew people to him, right? Because <laughs> he was different than everybody else. Not because he was like everybody else, because he is different. Well, let's be different than everybody else. 
You know, it's interesting. One of the ladies that came to the meal the other day told Angie and me, she said, one of the things that I've seen a difference between here, and I've been to other churches, I've been to other churches, the difference between here and there is that you can tell these people really love each other. And they really, they really show love to us. That's the difference, brother. That ought, that's the way it ought to be. Amen. Huh. Well, let's be different from everybody else. And weep over the fact that we're not in so many ways. Job's friends says in chapter 2 and verse 12, when they lifted up their eyes and they saw Job, they didn't even know who he was. He was so, his body was so covered with boils from head to foot. He didn't even look like Job. And it says they lifted up their voices and they wept. And they tore their, 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 their clothes and they poured dust on their heads and they wept because their brother was suffering. And we, pay, we pray for people that are sick. But brethren, how often do we weep? Do we, do we feel so intensely connected to that person that we weep for, with them? Let me tell you what, if it was your wife or your husband laying in that hospital bed and you didn't know if they were going to make it or not, you'd weep. I guarantee you would, wouldn't you? If it was your son or your daughter, you'd weep. If it was your mother or your father, you'd be down there weeping by their bedside. Brethren, we're all the same. We're all brothers and sisters. We're all mothers and fathers here. We're all daughters and sons. All the dear older sisters here are my mothers. All the older brother and my father. That's what the scriptures say, right? When I see a brother or sister suffering physically, suffering in their life, it ought to touch my heart so much that when I pray for them, I weep over them. I believe Paul wept over Epaphroditus. I believe it. He did. He was he was so consumed. And of course, back in the first part of Acts, he just laid their hand on him. He just stole one of his his handkerchiefs. Even that it says when one of his handkerchiefs touched one of the people. Peter, when his shadow crossed over, they were healed. But by the end of the book of Acts, that wasn't happening anymore. And Paul prayed for Epaphroditus. And God had mercy on Paul and on Epaphroditus and on the people there in Philippi. And he, he healed that man. Psalm 139, or Psalm 137, it talks about the people coming back from Jerusalem after the captivity. And it says that they hung their, their harps on the willow trees and they wept. They came back to that city and they wept over it. They wept over it. Peter in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 75 said when he heard that cock crow the second time and he realized that he had done just what the Lord said he would do and he had denied he would ever do, deny him three times. It says he went away weeping. Brother, when, when was the last time you wept over your sin? Well, not, not sin that you got caught. I mean, there's a lot of guys, I've seen a lot of guys weep when they get caught. You know, that's easy to weep when you get caught. But how many times do you wept when you didn't get caught? When you're sitting in your room all by yourself and there's sin that is in your life and you confess it and it just makes you cry like a baby. It just tears you up that you have sinned this grave sin against the Lord who loved you so much that he died for you. That you added to his suffering in a way. I mean, I, I'm not, I don't know how that all goes. I don't want to try to get into all that. But I know that he had to die for every single sin I committed. He had to suffer and die for them all. 
He had to be forsaken of God for me during those three hours on the cross because of my sin. And brethren, how many times do we weep over our sin? How many times do we weep over it? Does it cause such great move in our hearts, such great sorrow in our lives that we say, God, how could I do this against you? In, in Revelation chapter 5 and verse 4, there's a one on the throne and he has a book in his hand with seven seals. And it says, no man's found worthy, not only to, to open the book, not, not even to look on it. And when John hears that, he says, and I wept much because no man was found worthy. No man was found worthy. Again, brethren, I look at some of these assemblies and, I, and, and somebody asked me to say, who, you know, we're kind of in a bind here. Who, who would you say would be one, one of the elders in the assembly? And I look around and I say, I don't see any. My own assembly, 200 plus people. And uh, they just added one man as an elder, and they asked me about it, and I said, I, I don't see anybody else. Sad. It said that our men are so involved in, in their jobs, so involved in their personal lives, so involved in the things of this world that they can't even be qualified to give their lives over the ministry. I know Jabe Nicholson told a story one time about a, a young guy, not young, but, you know, younger guy, the, the brethren had asked him to pray about joining them on the oversight, and he said, well, let me pray about it. He was an accountant in one of these big five accounting firms. After a, a few weeks, he came back to him and said, I've, I've really prayed about it. I think the Lord would have me to do that. So I quit my job. I took a job as a bookkeeper in this small company. And they said, we didn't ask you to do that. He said, well, if I'm going to do the job of work of an elder, there's no way I could do that in the job that I had before. I didn't have the time to do it. So here's why he, he made that sacrifice. Well, are, are we willing to do that kind of thing? Weep over the, the lack of leadership among the Lord's people. Godly men that we can hold up as an example to everybody else. And say, now there's a man. There's a man that we can follow. Not just what he says, but we can follow the way he lives. There's not many men like that anymore. And finally, the Lord Jesus, he wept three times. The first time in Luke chapter 19 and verse 41, he rep, wept over Jerusalem. The second time was in John 11.35. He wept at the tomb of Lazarus. And the third time he wept is in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 7. He wept there in the Garden of Gethsemane. Every time he wept, it had to do with sin and the result of sin. With Jerusalem, it was a sin and their, the result of sin was a rejection of him as their king and their Messiah. Second time, it was the, the, the result of sin was the death of a dear friend. And third of all, there in the garden was the result of sin was that he was to be forsaken of God, that he was to drink that bitter cup of the wrath of God, that he was to become sin for us. The result of sin. The result of sin around us, brethren, the result of sin in our own lives, do we weep over it? So the question is, just for you to ponder on your own, when was the last time you wept? I'm not talking about, again, you wept, well, my, my son was sick, he was in the hospital, or my son fell into sin. or my, No, I'm not talking, I'm, I'm talking about for the people in the assembly here, for the condition of the church of Jesus Christ in the world today, for the condition of the world around us, the wickedness and immorality that's all around us, for the, for the fact of, of, of where's the, the lack of godly men, of godly leadership 
in the local assembly as well as on the on the national level and the international level. Brethren, there were years ago when missionaries were going out left and right. I mean, when we went out to the foreign field back in 1987, there were dozens of missionaries that were going out at that time. I know quite a few that went out the same years we went out. It's not happening anymore. We've lost a vision. I think part of the reason the church in America is so weak is because we've lost the vision of reaching out to these other places. Uh, workers and missionaries, you talk to them, I'll tell you what, brethren, it's sad. It's sad, the, the lack of fellowship, financial assistance to those brethren. I mean, I know some guys that are just really suffering financially. Didn't used to be that way. Talking to Mike Atwood about it the other day, there used to be a thing. You probably don't even know what I'm talking about, most of you. The Brethren Handshake. You might know what the Brethren Handshake is. You might know what it is. A couple of you? Yeah. <laughs> used to be common. Used to be every assembly you went to, one after another. The Brethren Handshake is when you hand in your hand, you have just a little bit of fellowship. You know, $5. Doesn't matter the amount. Just you, brother, you minister to me, and I just want to share with you just a little bit to help you along the way. Oh, the assembly gives you money. You know, I don't want to worry about that. <laughs> don't be so sure about that. I know places where we go that don't get anything, you know. And I'm saying we do it for that, but I'm saying, you know, you got needs. And I know some workers that had gone to get jobs, some have left the field, foreign field as well as home, because lack of lack of um, of help, of lack of, of concern. There's a dearth among the Lord's people, brethren. We need revival. And revival's only going to begin when we're on our faces, weeping before the Lord. How many of you all heard the revival hymn? Y'all, have you all heard the revival hymn, H-Y-M-N? Okay, you get it on, you can find it, just re- Google revival hymn. Get the DVD version because some of these guys are Scottish and Irish, and I don't understand half the stuff they say. But if you get the DVD, it has the words up on there. But it talks about these great revivals that have happened in the last year. I'll tell you, brother, it'll make you weep. It'll make you weep. Here's some of the things that went on. But one of them, it talks about there in this one town, there was a dance going on, and one young man was in the church on the floor weeping before. He had been weeping before the Lord for weeks and months, asking God to bring a revival about. And that night, the Spirit of God moved. And there was such a revival in that town, in that church, and in that village, that it said that within just a few days, all the bars closed down because there's nobody that wanted to buy any liquor anymore. And it was, and it, was a, it was a movement. They said 90-some percent of the people in that town got saved in that revival. I mean, it was amazing. God is able. The, the power of God is still the gospel and the salvation to all who believe. And I'll just say this. When was the last time you wept over a lost soul? When you're praying about somebody who gets saved, somebody you know, how, when was the last time that it broke your heart you wept over them? I think we spend way too much time talking to people. When I, when I tell people, I give them advice about sharing the gospel, I say, you need to talk to God more about that person than you talk to that person about God. It's not by a lot of words we're going to convince anybody. I can't convince anybody that God exists. I can't do it. I, it's impossible. I can't convince anybody that God created this world. Can't, you can't, God doesn't even try to do that. In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. He didn't try to convince anybody. He just, he just takes it as a fact. If they want to believe it, it's the Spirit of God that brings about conviction, right? Conviction of sin and righteousness. But we need to be on our faces praying. We just need to preach the word. Give them what the word says and then let the spirit of God use that sword in their hearts 
to divide asunder their soul and their spirit, to reveal to them the wickedness that's there. And the only way of salvation is through the person and the work of Jesus. He's got to do that, brethren. We can't do it. But I think we need to be on our faces weeping for these people, crying out to God, God, have mercy on this soul. That soul's on their way to hell. I, I know I'm going to tell you one story. I'm going to quit, okay? In Spain, I used to go out and hand out gospel calendars every year. Buena Semilla, the good, the good seed. It's like the gospel, uh, gospel folio, it's more, more Bible, uh, gospel oriented. And so I'd go out here, and I knocked on this one door, this guy, his name was Pablo, no, Pedro, I'm sorry, Pedro. And his wife had never liked me very much, I don't know why, but she never liked me very much, because she was very Roman Catholic, and her husband would talk to me, I talked to him a lot of times. And, but he'd always listen, but he never came to the place of salvation. And I knocked on this door, and his wife said, you know, he's not here, and I said, can you leave the counter? She said, he died just a month ago. And I walked across the street, and I wept like a baby. It broke my heart. I said, oh, God, I'm so wicked and horrible. I'm so selfish. If I had come here a month ago, maybe I could have talked to him one more time. Same year, same time, just a day or two later, I knocked on the door of another house. And there they would put a, a sign on the, on the door next to the door whenever they have a funeral, somebody died. And so there was one on this door, and I looked over there, and it was the name of the guy that I was coming to give the calendar. He had died the day before. The day before. I said, oh God, I am so lazy. I sit at home. Said I should be out here doing this. And, and this guy, one, if I get it one more time. I don't, maybe that would have been the time when the Spirit of God would have used, I don't know, brother. I don't know. But I got to look at myself and judge my own self. And I wept for that man's soul. But that's the two men that had died. And I looked at myself. And what are you doing, Mark, about the rest? What are you doing about the ones that are still alive that you shared the gospel with? And again, weeping over them. Weeping over those poor souls. Brethren, let's weep. Let's be men that cry. Let's be Jeremiah's, okay? Let's be like the Lord Jesus. Let's be like David and Nehemiah and Josiah and these other men that were men, real men, but they were men so in tune with the Lord Jesus, with God, and so in tune with His Word that when they saw things out of line, when they saw things out of sync with that, they were so broken that they fell on their faces and they wept before the Lord. I think the Lord's going to do a great work, brethren. I really think He's going to in these last days. But it's going to take a brokenness on the part of His people. Let's, let, let's start right here, okay? Let's start with this assembly, right? Let's start with you guys. Let's start with you or me. Let's start with us. It's got to start somewhere. There's got to be a spark somewhere. Let's be the spark that starts the great flame in these last days. Our Father and our God in heaven, help us to see the vision from the sight of the Lord Jesus Christ of this world that we live in. The church of Jesus Christ, the condition that it's in, the condition of your people individually, the condition of our own lives, Father, how far we fall short of the glory, the perfect standard of the Lord Jesus, how, how, how selfish we are, how, how lazy we are with sharing the gospel, with, with meeting one another's needs, with how insensitive we are, Father. We think if we just say a few words that, that covers, we've covered that base, we've taken care of that one, and we check that one off our list. And yet, Lord, where's the brokenness on our part? Where's, it says when your people, when, when one suffers, the entire assembly suffers. When, when one is hurting, the entire assembly hurts with them. Father, where are we at in that? Is that those just words we read on a page, or is that the reality of our lives, Father? I pray you do a great work among us now, that you would in these last days before Christ comes, that you would use us 
to see a great movement of the Spirit of God before the end of the day of grace, that we might see people come to Christ before it's too late, before that great and awful day of the wrath of God comes, and men suffer the judgment, the righteous judgment of God because of the rejection, because of their unbelief. Oh, Father, do a great work in these last days for the glory, the benefit of your Son, the Lord Jesus. He is so worthy, O oh Father, to receive the reward of his suffering. We pray you did all for his sake and do a great work in us, Father, making us more like him, even in this area as well. We give you thanks, Father, for this time together. I thank you for all these dear brothers and sisters that made the sacrifice to come out tonight. Bless us, Father. Speak to each one of us where we are for the glory and praise of your name. Amen. Thank you all so much.